0: And the scripture for today is Acts 11, verses 19 to 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Thanks,
1: Cindy. I always love the shameless plug for the Volunteer Appreciation Day. We work hard, we play hard. We want you to play hard with us, but come work hard with us. Um, There's a lot of opportunity with that. I love, I just want to emphasize what Cindy said. Uh, with Easter coming up especially, the way we're, getting, we're gearing up and the way God has been working the last few years uh, with all of that, there's a lot of exciting opportunity. Um, so uh, if, you're, if you're all feeling a tug at your heart to be a part of it, uh, for the camp value, great, or for the beach value, also great. Uh, we'd love to have you out. Uh, today, yes, we are starting a new series. My name is David, pastor here at Current. Let me pray and then, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. It's days like these that we just, we just uh, remember or, or, or just uh, uh, take in that uh, uh, it's easy to take for granted where we live, this wonderful weather. Uh, uh, thank you for this place. Thank you for the rain that we've been experiencing this, this past season that we've, we've needed. Um, Father, thank you that we, here's a day where we can come together in community, but here's a day where we can come together around your word and uh, to sing your praises. Father, would you be here among us? Would you give us your spirit? Uh, wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, whether uh, we're here and this is you know we've been walking with you for many many years, or whether uh, some someone's here just checking you out, um, just trying to figure you out, figure you out. I ask that you would give us each your spirit as we just long to uh, understand uh, what you have before us today. Uh, I've asked this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so this new series we're calling uh, Ripple Effect. The idea behind it is essentially this: you can have disproportionately big impact through the smallest of choices and actions. Uh, It's this whole idea, ripple effect, of it only takes just a small drop of water uh, for relatively great waves to kind of come out and go relatively great distances. Uh, In the same way, God wants to and can use you in disproportionately great ways. And all it takes is just the smallest of actions uh, this series really has Easter in mind, okay? We're always trying to think ahead a little bit in the church calendar. Easter is, for whatever reason, in our culture, still a, a holiday that people are a little bit more interested in the Christian faith. They're a little bit more open, say, to coming to church or engaging in a spiritual conversation around what the holiday is. It's Easter and Christmas in our culture. Uh, and Easter, in my humble opinion. Is really the Super Bowl Sunday of the the church calendar. I mean, it's the main event. It's the day we celebrate not only Christ's uh, work on the cross, his death, but also his resurrection uh, from the grave. And so that we have life that we just were singing in his name. And it's available to any and everybody who would put their faith in him, who would receive him. Uh, As a church, we exist to point people towards Jesus. So if there's a day... If there's a holiday, if there's, if there's a time in which we can kind of all collectively row together, make it a concerted effort to be more prepared and more available uh, to help point people to Jesus, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, family in the area, it's Easter. And so the idea of this series is just to be thinking about each of us individually. Uh, people in our lives, uh, somebody you're working with, you know, you live next to. I, 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 my hope is that you'd be uh, praying for them, maybe even ex- thinking about extending an invitation to them or engaging in a spiritual conversation with them. Uh, and then if you're here, as we say every every week, you're walking wherever you're at spiritually, and you're checking out the faith, and you know, you've picked a great day to come because this is a day where you get to hear the heart behind why Christ followers, why Christians uh, have a heart to share Jesus, even in a place like the Silicon Valley. So we're going to be looking at it today, the ripple effect. Uh, and where we're going to start here is in this, in this uh, fun story in the book of Acts, uh, where we find the church starting in the city called Antioch. Now here's the interesting thing about Antioch, and we'll unpack more of this later. Antioch, which is essentially 300 miles north of Jerusalem, 20 miles inland from the Mediterranean, was then in Syria. Today is actually in modern-day Turkey, because Turkey kind of jets down a little bit, um, it swoops up a little bit of that land. So that, that's kind of the area of where it is. But in terms of world history and Christian history, Antioch is arguably the great, the, the place, the birthplace of the greatest cis, city gospel movement ever. Sorry, that was a mouthful for us. <laughs> I had trouble with it. It's arguably the birthplace of the greatest gospel movement. Ever. And here's what I want to focus our time on, is it all happened because of them. Who? Them. Uh, look at these verses here. Uh, verse 20, some of them went to Antioch and began to speak, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And then verse 23, uh, when the church leader Barnabas was, was visiting, from Jerusalem. He was, he, was, he was glad and he encouraged them. I love this. We're not given any names. Uh, this is not Peter, Paul, James, John. This is none of like the heavy hitters of early Christianity. Uh, all we're told is this great movement happened by them. We're not even given any stories, no accolades. Uh, we're just told they were the ones who did it, them. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, in terms of Christian history and in terms of world history, Antioch really is the place where things just took off. Um, and we, we, see, we can understand that in a few ways, including from this text. Uh, here's why it was such a great gospel city movement. It was the first church among non-Jews. Recently, I was at a Christian conference, and it was a room filled with probably about 1,000 people. we were talking, you know, a multi-purpose-sized room of, like, about five full-length basketball courts just packed with with Christians. It was a Christian conference. And the speaker there asked the question, hey, I just want to do a little exercise. Allow me to do this. Who here, uh, if you identify as Christian, comes from a a, uh, Jewish heritage, from a Jewish background? So a 1,000 people probably in this room. I think about two people raised their hands. Two people. Just, yeah, that's me. And all these other folks, you know, 998 other people there were there because of them. Current is here today because of them. Um, it's the first church where the disciples were called Christian. Did you notice that? In verse 26 it says this is where they were first called Christians. But notice it doesn't say that they called themselves Christian. Isn't that interesting? It's not like hey let's we need hey we need to brand ourselves here. You know, let's call ourselves Christian. No, the other the people saw such Radical lives being lived that they're like, we need to be able to identify these people. Let's call them Christian, which, of course, you know means Christ-ins, Christ-followers, Christ-people, Jesus-people. Uh, I would love to be called that. You're your Jesus-person, people, um, because you were living such radical lives. It was the first place they were called Christian. And then and number three, this is the first church that was sent out intentionally to share the gospel. If you look at verse 20, you see that there was other churches starting all around this time, uh, because of persecution. A lot of persecution was starting to hit the Christians early on. And it, would, it would come in waves increasingly throughout uh, world history. We know this. This is one of the first, if not the very first wave, actually. And so churches were starting, but this church was the first one to start not because of persecution. Uh, they just said, hey, let's, let's, let's do this. Um, it was the home base for the gospel spreading throughout the Mediterranean world, uh, it was, Antioch was the place that the Apostle Paul, if you know him, to basically have been the person to have done, to start all these churches around the Mediterranean world, uh, it was the place where he set out on each of these famous three missionary journeys of him. That is Antioch. Um, and here's what I just find so encouraging, so amazing, is all of this happened because of them, which means a lot of can happen because of us. It doesn't take a whole lot. Um, and So I want to unpack, okay, what can we learn from them so that we too, uh, by God's grace, can see a just great uh, impact in our lives, if you would be so kind? Uh, what can we learn from them? Here, here are four characteristics I want to learn about them, okay? Number one, we see in verse 20 that they took God's mission personally. Verse 20 says, some of them went to Antioch and began to speak, and they were proclaiming the, the, the gospel. Uh, here's a question. Why do you think they chose Antioch? You know, Cindy and I and, and Many on the team from the earliest of days, we've kind of gotten this understanding of like behind the scenes church startup life or in the church startup world, that's called church planting when you start new churches. So we've just done our best to try to like, you know, get out there and learn and get ideas and all that sort of stuff. So we've learned a lot about how the inner workings of church planting works and how a lot of people will figure out, hey, let's go start a church there is typically by doing something like a demographic study. Like, okay, we need to understand an area. We need to understand specifically the needs. And, hey, that's a place we should go to. A lot of churches, uh, we need more churches. Uh, That's a whole other story. But a lot of churches get started because people do demographic study. Hey, there's there's growth happening in the community here. There's spiritual needs here. There's physical needs. We should go there. Um, That's not a bad thing. But here's what happened back then. There was no demographic study. These guys just chose Antioch because life took them there. Uh, This church started in this place because this is where life took them there. And that's so important. They were taking God's mission uh, personally. And just wherever life took them, that's where they were going to take God's mission. Uh, Recently, I got to hear a story of somebody in Current that I just thought was really fun. They were telling me about how uh, the last place they thought they would ever end up living is the Bay Area. I wonder if we took a poll, how many of you would feel that way? Um, but they were just saying, the last place I would want to live was, was the Bay Area. I never wanted to do that. But all of a sudden, he just found himself uh, unexpectedly laid off. And so he's like, okay, I've got to find a job. Well, a job opened up in the Bay Area that he, he got. and It was a great fit. He's like, oh, boy, but here I'm going to the Bay Area where I never thought I'd go. But he was telling me, he's like, you know, but my conclusion is, wow, the Bay Area, it seems to me, has been where God wanted me all along. I said, tell me about that. He's like, I didn't want to come here, but this is the first place I feel like I am actually thriving in my faith. Like in college, I, you know, the, I really discovered the faith. The gospel clicked for me. I understood who Jesus is, and I, you know, I, I decided to put my faith and trust in Him then, and he, it became really important to me, for, to me. The most important thing to follow Him. But where I was living, I couldn't figure that out. I tried all these churches. I couldn't do that. But here in this place, I didn't want to come. It's actually the first place where. It's clicking for me. I'm actually able to grow, learn, and serve. And uh, I hope this is encouraging to you, church family. He was saying, you know, man, the, the, the community here has been a huge impact to me. It's been the place where I've been able to thrive. And so I hope that's encouraging to you. And I, he, he said to me, man, this, you guys are a big answer to my prayer. And I thought about that. And I was just like, you know, what's funny is I'm hearing you share the story, and actually, actually you're a big answer to our prayers. I like, what do you mean? It's like from the very beginning, we've been praying this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. He said, the the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We've always believed that in a place like the Bay Area. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And I said, it feels like you're a direct answer to that prayer. He's like, whoa. And we had one of those moments where we're just reflecting on God's goodness and how he just kind of sets us up and just takes us to places that we might not initially want to go or think we'd end up or wonder how it all all play out. But that's where he places us. That's where he wants us. Um, a verse that I'll, have re- I'll read from time to time, it's been, uh, man, probably you know many, many months since I've read this, um, that really kind of brings this home, this thought of God placing us where we are, is from Acts chapter 19. So only a couple chapters later. It says, from one man, God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. That's saying God's placed us where he's placed us, where, where we are. And wherever life took them, they took God's mission. They weren't so focused on, you know, what I could be doing, what we could be doing, or, or the what's next in life. I feel like we do that often in the Silicon Valley, do we not? First of all, it's a very transient area, of course, so often we're here for shorter times, but also because we're just thinking about so, so much and we're, we're high capacity, high like, you know, uh, we have, we have uh, great ambition to be thinking forward. We're, we're constantly thinking about what's next or what could have been or all those sorts of things. These guys weren't so caught up in that. They were embracing where they were and they were taking God's mission to then and, and, and where they were uh, at that time. Um, where, does God, where does life have you? Uh, wh- where do you live? Uh, uh, why do you live where you live? Why do you work where you work? Uh, you're there, the Bible says, because God put you there. And your daily choices there can have a big impact, the smallest of actions, Uh, Number two, they had gospel conversations. Look at verse 20. Some of them went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, telling them, here it is, the good news about the Lord Jesus. So it says they began to speak. It says they were telling them the good news. You know what those words are screaming out to me? Intentionality. Uh, They were intentional about sharing their faith. I wonder if you've heard this very famous saying uh, by, uh, who is it? Uh, uh, St. Francis de Assisi's. He once said, Assisi, he said, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Have you heard that saying? Maybe a few of you. Preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, say words. Now, I like that thought. I think it's very helpful because it's conveying this idea of we are preaching all the time. Christ followers are preaching all the time with their lives. And what you do or what you choose not to do is preaching a gospel. It's preaching about Jesus in some way, and we need to be mindful of that, and that's happening far more often than we're aware of. That's very helpful we can glean from that statement. What I think can be misleading about that statement is, when necessary, pre, you know, use words. Well, that's all the time. I mean, how are we going to preach the gospel if not through words? And so uh, we need to be thinking about using words, and what we see in them is that Jesus had so changed their lives that they couldn't help, keep, they, they, they couldn't keep it in. They had to let it out. Uh, Here's here's a a question that might be uncomfortable for some some Christians, some of us Christians. When was the last time you shared the gospel? Um, This is a question that we need to wrestle with, we need to think about. um, But here's a, a way, as we let that thought kind of sink in, to kind of understand and kind of actually bring some life and encouragement in, is perhaps part of the question actually should be, how would you articulate the gospel, and how might there be opportunities to do so? Because again, here's the premise of this series, and I think we can glean from it here as we, as we take, about, take this uh, a little bit further, is we can have disproportionately great impact. There's the smallest of choices and actions. I think some of us, we can think, oh, sharing the gospel or articulating, that's a big action. I don't think I can. It doesn't have to be. Uh, to, by way of getting at that and, and making uh, a, a more f- a full uh, thought here, what we see here is notice in verse 20 uh, that it, these people, they, them, were taking it to the Greeks. So they were doing it cross-culturally, right? They were, they were crossing cultural barriers. Here's what's interesting as you think about what it means to articulate the gospel, share the gospel in the Silicon Valley. What kind of cultural barriers are in place and between you know, sharing the gospel and someone hearing it or, or receiving it? What, what are the barriers there? Like, what are the cultural things? I think there's plenty we could, we could talk about a lot. But here's one that's just very prominent, at least in, in my humble experience, is, is getting to the place where people say, oh, Christians are so, and then fill in the blank. Have you ever had a conversation like that? Oh man, just Christian, and what they're saying is, I have an issue with this. I don't, I don't want to talk about this, or I don't, I don't, I'm not buying anything that that you're, you, you represent because of a perceived notion about Christians. But friends, that's an opportunity, because when folks say something like, when friends, coworkers say something like, Christians are so, let's just use the word judgmental. You know what Christians get to say? You know what we get to say? You know how that's an opportunity? We get to say, Boy, you know what? You're right. <laughs> and you know what? It's inexcusable because there's a lot of text in the Bible saying, do not judge. In fact, Jesus said, do not judge. And so when Christians do judge, it's not right. And so I don't know. You know, and I, I've probably judged you, friend, not intentionally, or you know, play out that scenario. But if what you're saying is that Christians don't have their act all together. That's the point. That's why Jesus came. And then you're talking about the gospel, Jesus, and what he came to do on the cross in a totally new light that's not about Christians or perceived or these cultural barriers, even if it's not like, you know, of like far and away land type culture, but just in terms of like a cultural perspective. We're now talking about the gospel and engaging with folks in a spiritual way in terms of what the heart is all about, and that is we all need Jesus starting with Christians. And by the way, daily, and if anything, as Christians, we should be the first to apologize or own this or that, um, even as we point people to Jesus, because that's what the gospel is. Or let's take, for instance, the fact that, you know, this area is very diverse in terms of so many uh, parts of the world coming here. I love that about our area. Um, Many of you know that Cindy and I lived two years in China, Uh, so uh, China has a special place in our heart. I always say that I left a little bit of my heart there when we came back a little bit sooner than we thought. Um, but so so for, but when there's folks visiting from China, either in the workplace or in the scholarly world at Stanford or whatever, uh, I, I'm always just really interested in making friends and number one, just being a loving help support to them, hopefully being a uh, hospitable to them as I so experienced hospitality there when I was visiting. Um, but in terms of our discussion here in, in articulating sharing the gospel, you know my humble uh, experience has been when it, when it comes to talking with uh, folks from China, for instance. And again, these are broad strokes, but um, so it's not always the case with everybody. So many of my friends, when I'm, when we're engaging in spiritual conversation and talking about the gospel, the response has actually been, oh my goodness, I think I believe that. Or, oh my goodness, this at least like resonates on a level. And, you know, part of, I don't want to get into all of it, um, um, it's just, it's a new culture perspective of they, they have never kind of wrestled with this for, for any number of reasons, and when they're here, they're kind of experiencing things or hearing things from a different perspective, and I, we get to say, you know what? Yeah, it's true. Jesus is true. Uh, we get to share. We get to step in. You know I—you know what's so exciting? Uh, demographers tell us that by the year 2043, there will be no majority population in the United States. Isn't that a, a fun thought? By the year 2043, I mean, who knows, give or take, right? And in places like the Bay Area and the Silicon Valley, that's happening a lot quicker. It's leading the charge uh, in exciting ways. But you know what that, that means to, to, to us as a church family? we got to be intentional. we got to be thinking about this and loving and caring for people uh, where they are. Now, number three, uh, them, they were uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21. The Lord's hand was upon them, it says, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to, to me. in In North America, we are very good—I say tongue in cheek—at introductions. Have you noticed this at like our big events? Like, yeah, that great leader, this this great leader, him or her. You know, so-and-so, and we all clap. You know, sadly, this also happens in the church world. You know, that great man of God, that great woman of God, which always makes me a little nervous because when Jesus was once called good teacher, he didn't even let the person keep talking. He said, Who do you, why, why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God alone. And when he could have actually received that good title uh, perfectly, uh, and he didn't, I think that should say something to us. But nevertheless, we'll say, those are great people. You know how the Bible introduces people, or at least describes them when they are great leaders. And you can do a study of this when you look cover to cover in the Bible. You know how often the Bible describes this great leader? And the hand of God was on them. And the hand of the Lord was upon them over and over again. Um, Dr. Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones wrote in his book, Revival, what is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. When God acts, he can do more in a minute than a man with his organizing can do in 50 years. Isn't that an interesting thought? Um, what we see and what we understand is we need God's moving on us. We've man, We've been praying this from the very beginning as a church that unless the Lord builds his house, the psalmist wrote, uh, the laborers work in vain. uh, We just want to see God's hand upon us. The last thing we want to do is just show up to go through the uh, motions or play church. And if God is ever not a part of current, which heaven forbid, like we would rather just stop, frankly. We want the Lord to be upon this, uh, even as it can't be of ourselves. We need his help. But the question then becomes, well, how? Well, how, how, how does this happen? Um, there's much we could say on this, but here's, I just want to focus in on uh, the thought of prayer, of course. I've heard it said that God moves in the desperate prayers of His people. And when we seek Him in desperate prayer, we get to see Him move. And when we don't, we don't. Um, you know, it's with this spirit in mind, we're gearing up as we approach Easter to have some times of prayer We're going to be having a a prayer gathering, actually for the first time here, uh, the Saturday, so the day before Easter, three o'clock. If you want to put that in your calendars, it's not going to be super long. I mean, you know, we're not going to be praying for personal prayer requests, each other's needs. There's a time and place for that. Those things are good, but this is going to be about praying for for Easter. This is going to be about praying for God's mission. You're welcome. Please come. We'd love to have you here. Uh, We need to be doing this in our current groups praying. Again, I mentioned earlier that that's not wrong. It's, it's good, in fact, to be praying for each other's prayer requests, and the current groups is a great place for that to happen. Uh, God calls us to pray for each other's needs and, 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 and minister to each other in, in this way. But this is, that's also a wonderful time to be praying for the church in our groups, to be thinking, praying for the greater church, not just current, but the churches in the area and beyond uh, in this mission. Uh, here's a question. Do you regularly pray... If you are a Christ follower, do you regularly pray that people would put their faith in Jesus? Is that a prayer that you pray regularly that people would come to know Jesus, they would receive Him and put their faith in Him? Boy, I feel like we got to be praying that. Um, um, I already know one of my greatest what one of my greatest regrets will be uh, later on in life. How is that for a weird meta meta thought, right? I just I know it sounds weird, but I. I already know one of the biggest regrets that I'm going to have, and that is that I'll have not prayed more and for more. I was doing an exercise recently. I, I, was, I, re, I was reminded. So early on in the church startup days, I feel like we're still kind of early on in the church startup days, but like really, really early on, uh, I'll, I'll admit, you'll hear me say from time to time, I was really, really raw. It's like, man, God has to show up or we're falling flat on our face, that sort of stuff, And I remember I was flying back from a potential church partner. I think this is before we had any church partners. And I was in the airport. And I just had a journal. They gave me a free journal. So I'm like, I'll use this thing. And I I don't have anything else to do. I'm waiting for this flight. So so I just decided, you know what? I'm going to start writing down prayers. You know, I've heard people do that before. I'm going to try this. So I just started bullet point writing prayers. Like, God, it would be so cool if we saw this happen in current. It would be so cool if we saw people put their faith. And I tried to get more specific, which makes me always a little nervous because I'm like, oh, man, that's making me feel uncomfortable. Like, do I have that faith? I don't know. You know, that kind of stuff. But I was just doing it because I had nothing else to do. And I just started writing. And 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 the whole prompt in my mind was, okay, these have to be prayers that, unless God shows up, it it, it would have to be a miracle. Just this many people put put their faith in Jesus. Boy, that would be a miracle. that we get this place in terms of, like, the team and setup and this All those kinds of prayers that you imagine that I'd probably be thinking about. And I went back and I was thinking about these and that prayer list, and I was like, oh my goodness, God has answered those prayers. And if anything, I kind of felt guilty at the time. I was like, man, I probably should be doing, I should be praying for more. I know I should be, but I couldn't as I wrote it down. And yet God over and exceeded those prayers. We've got to be praying. Uh, it's just, and you know what? If you've never done that before, uh, I'm I'm not the type to do it. I just confess that to you. Like, you don't have to do it this way, but like journaling out prayers is a wonderful exercise, a wonderful discipline to be doing. But we've got to be we've got to be praying, um, because a big part of, of of experiencing God's power happens in um, prayer. And then, and then, okay, number four, uh, just from what we can learn from them, uh, they uh, were they motivated others with their lives. Uh, we see that in verse 22. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, uh, 300 miles later, uh, uh, away. And then when Barnabas, this early church leader, uh, heard, he set out for Antioch. And then when he got there, it says, verse 23, he saw the grace of God, what, what the grace of God had done, and he was glad. Uh, you know what I love about that thought? Is what was happening in them, what was happening through them was so palpable that it could be experienced that it could be felt by Barnabas. Like he he could just see it. Um, Church family, how cool would it be if folks came among us and they experienced palpably that sort of thing? But friends, that's happening. Um, One of the fun things about being a pastor is I get to kind of hear a lot of stories, and I try my best to kind of communicate them through appropriate channels. Sometimes I'll do that from upstage, as you've heard Today and as I'm doing, and actually now. But I love getting to hear the stories because I get to hear kind of like the higher level and see connections and try to try our best to kind of connect them and understand what God's doing. One of the things that a lot of people have been saying, and I hope we understand the spirit in all of this, so stick with me in the whole time. This is not to like pat ourselves on the back. One of the things that people have been saying uh, from the beginning and, and still to this day is, Wow, there's something really special happening at current. Um, you know, when they're saying that, they're never saying, wow, the preaching's really going on. So I always have to check my spirit. Like, okay, all right. It's like the preacher's really doing a good job. Like, it's never that spirit. And it's not that, wow, you have a really special, special band. Which band? I think you're special. We love you. You're great. You are special, actually. And that's a whole nother. It, it, actually, it really, you really are. It's another story. What they're typically saying, nine times out of ten, when they're saying that is, what a wonderful community. What a welcoming, hospitable community. What a, what a, there's something happening here. And by the way, that's happening. I'm hearing that from people who have either experienced community in the past, are in community now and just visiting the area, or have never experienced church at all. And I just think like, oh my goodness, that's what we're trying to do. Our vision here, very central to the vision of current, is John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said right before the cross, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know if you're my disciples, if you love one another. So are we really excited, patting ourselves on the back? Hey, we're a fun community. We're a hip community. Wow, we're we're great. No, actually, we don't care about those sorts of things. But what we do long to see is people tasting and seeing Christ in us. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And that's what commentaries will say, that what Barnabas found so attractive about them was their fellowship and their mission. Friends, I go into all of that not to just kind of say, hey, isn't that nice and encourage us. I hope that it does encourage you. But I go into all that to say, friends, let us steward that. Let us steward this community that for, for, for the reason in God's grace right now, he's just blessing right now, would we steward this community, not for ourselves, although, you know, we're supposed to love each other, care for each other, all of that, but for the sake of those around us. Easter's a wonderful time to do that. You know what I love about the preaching moment, by the way? You know, I, my goal here as I'm preaching is I, I want to I preach Jesus. I want to get out of the way and preach Jesus. But one of the fun things that happens in the preaching moment and what's Helpful for people, by the way, in understanding God's love for them in like the preaching moment. It's not just me up here sharing these words, but as a community like yourselves, eagerly trying to wrestle with, learn, and understand God more sincerely and eagerly. And as that happens, there's a movement that happens. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a gospel movement that can come out of that. And again, it just takes the smallest of actions. Um, the disproportionate impact through small things. Uh, I just finished reading uh, a, a biography about seven amazing women. It's, it's called Seven Women by Eric Matejas. That is, I think, how you say his name. Um, and he covers just some powerhouse women. I mean, we're talking Rosa Parks, Joan of Arc, Corey de Boom, Boom, excuse me, incredible women, all driven by their faith in Christ. But here's what really struck me as I was reading each of these stories is how in basically every case, none of them set out to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to reform the system. You know, like I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna just take care of these people like in, in hunger over here. I'm gonna take on world hunger. I'm, I gotta go after the systems. They cared about those big things, but what each and all of them did was like, you know what? I'm gonna focus on here and now, even as I have opportunity to think about that. I'll go for it. But they just started humbly where they are with the smallest of actions. And listen to how the Christian author of this book summarized this powerfully. He said, "How can you change the world? The answer find seven women." Turn them loose and watch Satan tremble in their presence. Friends, this is how God works today. He wants to include you and me in having a disproportionately great impact through even the smallest of actions. Um, We don't know a whole lot about these people who launched what's likely the greatest gospel movement ever. We don't know a whole lot about them, but we do know that God used them their faithfulness to accomplish great things, um, such that you and I are gathering here today. By the way, Paul wouldn't have even come around had it not been for them. That's in that story, that, 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 you know, Apostle Paul, who wrote, you know, a sizable portion of our Bible and started all these churches, we wouldn't have him if not for them in Antioch. Um, you and I, we won't be Paul We won't be James, we won't be John, we won't be Mary, but we can be them. And God calls us to be them. So how can we be thinking and pressing into this as Easter approaches? How can we, how can you be them? Where you live, where you work, even this week, maybe it's an invitation, maybe it's a a gospel, spiritual conversation, but this is how God works through people like them. So let's pray that God would would make us like them. Um, Let's pray now. Father, I just love how the scriptures just point over and over again that uh, you move just through the most humblest of means, and you just move through people who are saying, hey, I'm here. Would you use me? I'm available. Not that we have it right, (laughs) because we'd be the first to confess we do not. The reality is we don't do a great job at any of these things, even when they're the smallest of actions, but Lord, even there, your grace finds us. Father, would you help us be like them? Father, would you would you have your hand upon us, not because we deserve it, we don't. But because of what the work of what Jesus did on the cross, his death and his resurrection, that we can have life in his name, that we can make it available to others. Would you would you use that towards that end? Would you help current be a church that points people towards Jesus? Lord, if there's people here today, right now, trying to understand more about you, Lord, would you speak to them? Would you draw them, help them? taste and see palpably your spirit, your presence in their lives. And Father, would you help us be a church that points people to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.